everybody, your backup plan tribe today. I'm so excited to be here with all of you. And, you know, if you are new here, welcome. Welcome to your backup plan tribe. Please like, share, and subscribe to our channel if you already haven't. And thank you for returning our wonderful Your Backup Plan tribe. So I interview real life people each and every day with their real life stories and that today is not like any other day. It's a real life story with real life people and I can't tell you how intriguing and motivating and inspiring Barbara is going to give us a run for our money today in our show. If you are new here, my name is Tina Ginn and I am an emergency preparedness coach, a best-selling author, um, an app developer, a financial expert, and an app developer of your backup plan app. And I'm located here in Vancouver, beautiful British Columbia with the rain today. Um, if you like the, the video, <laughs> if you like our show today, please like, share, and subscribe, and share it with those that you love and care about um, so that maybe there's some tips or tricks or something that Barb's going to give us today. Um, and you can share that with your friends and family. Um, your backup plan app puts your life in one place in preparation of any unpredictable circumstance while taking the painful aftermath out of any tragedy. Yes, I like to say that the tragedy won't happen storms come our way each and every month, every day, every part of the year. You just don't know how many storms that you're going to have to manage. And believe me, Barbara, our special guest today, has managed many, many storms in her life. And I'd like to welcome Barb to our show today. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Tina. Welcome, welcome to your Backup Plan podcast, where we talk taboo. Um, and Barbara Oxenham is our special guest today from New Jersey. And she says it's raining there too. So uh, we're on the other parts of each other of the continent, but that's okay. It's still raining <laughs> there and it's still raining here. Um, pretty much like every, almost every day out of Seattle or Vancouver. Um, but thank you, Barbara, for coming on today with your special, special story that I feel very privileged um, and been given the opportunity to share it with our listeners today. Thank you for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. So, Barbara, can you explain? I don't see you, though. <laughs> Oh, you don't. Oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, there you are. You should. Can you see me? No. No. Mm -hmm. Let's should see. I click on something? No. You should. You should. You should see me. I can hear you and everything. Yeah, I don't. I just see the commercial. And my face like froze in there. <laughs> oh, maybe it's the Internet or something. It should come oh, back to boy. you. <laughs> you're okay you're okay you're live I am hi people yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Barbara your journey started when 
you got married in what year? 1979. Cool. And you had a daughter and then you had a son, did you? No, I had a son first and then a daughter. My son oh. was born in 1988 and my daughter was born in 1990. Oh, wow. Um, and so what changed, was it the later years, the teenage years or the twenties or what, mm. what kind of happened? Tell us your story. Well, everything was fine. They did wonderful all through school, all through high school. When my daughter was 16, her last year of high school, she came to me and she said, mommy, I feel sad too much. I think I need help. And, you know, I knew she had some anxiety here and there, but I was like, oh, teenage moods or whatever. You know, she didn't seem bad. And when she said that, it, it just struck me. Like, I didn't even have any idea she was sad. So um, she just pretty much kept to herself. And when she said that to me, I took her to the doctor and they had put her on Wellbutrin. And she was only on it for six months. She did well. She was real happy on it. She felt good and they weaned her off and she was fine. And nothing happened again until she was like 22 is when she started really spiraling down again. Um, and my son, he had anxiety and depression. I think that all started more so, you know, at college and you know, it wasn't a big deal. He didn't complain that much about it, but um, he became addicted to opioids from a roommate. And um, in after his 20s? that, he, excuse me? Was he in his 20s then? Yes, he was. They were both in their 20s. Um, he was, yeah, he was 20 when um, he started with the opioids. And then, could you tell he, that he was doing um, drugs? Well, he was at college. He was living at college then. So, you know, I noticed he was moodier and things like that. But, you know, there was just incidences that happened with things being stolen or whatever. And, and that's how we found out about that more so. I don't want to say names, but, you know, he yeah. stole from one of his friends and we found out about it through that and then he admitted to it and then we got him help and he was on Suboxone and he was on that for years, on and off, on and off. They both of them, they both had a lot of help. They were in rehabs. They had um, outpatient groups. They had private doctors, private social, social, social workers, sorry. Workers, yeah. <laughs> so, not socialists, social workers. Um, yeah, they, they had a lot of help. It was just a lot of back and forth. With my son, it lasted for seven years from the start of his addictions. And my daughter only had a two-year stint where when she was 22, she became an alcoholic from self-medicating. Um, she was on different meds. They changed them on and off because she did start having anxiety and stuff again when she was in her 20s, like 22. And um, it's hard to remember exact dates and times with everything, but yeah, 
but that year, of course, 21 is the drinking year. So she started partying more, you know, with her friends on the weekends or whatever. And then when she started with a lot of anxiety and depression was 22 and the meds, they would work for a while, then they didn't work. And then, you know, I would take her to the doctor and they would change them or whatever. But then she started with the alcohol um, and she became addicted to alcohol. She had seizures and everything else. And Oh dear. Yeah. She had three major seizures. She's been in the hospital 13 times. Did it counteract with her drugs that she was taking then? That that was the problem with her. Cambry, she was very hard-headed and did what she wanted. And the problem I found was when she turned 18, ugh, like, I mean, not that she, she wasn't a problem at 18, but I'm just saying once they turn 18, you're not allowed to do too much. You, your say-so doesn't count. Like when, when she had a social worker, one of them wouldn't even talk to me. I mean, there are some that are good that'll bring you in and, and get you involved. But some of the ones that she picked didn't even want to talk to me, like because she told them that I was too controlling and, you know. Whatever she sees it as, right? Yeah. You know, you're trying to protect them and help them. And then they turn it around against you sometimes. And, you know, it's like, I'm not trying to control you. I, I was the one, I was the liberal parent who gave you more freedom. And I figured you're both adults when you're 18. I wasn't super strict. Yeah, You know, I, I was throughout them growing up, but when they became adults, I gave them a lot of freedom. And now I wonder if, if I shouldn't have done that, but who knows? Who knows what, you know, there's no manual for parents and there's no That's manual. That's true. For, and people for, are always telling me how guilty they feel they should have done. And I'm like, you know, I was there. I went through all that. And I'm like, no, we were really great parents and we did the best we could. And we were had their backs all the time and we were abused by them because, you know, of their addictions, of course. And we yeah. still stood by right behind them and, and we backed them up a hundred percent. So, you know, there was one time where I tried the, where they say, you know, just kick them out. So I did that with my son once because seven years of addiction is like, oh. gotta do something different here. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. In the middle. Well, it wasn't even seven years. I guess it was like six years then. We kicked him out and, you know, he came back and he said, okay, I'll go to rehab. So it worked. You know, he didn't like being kicked out and living in his car or whatever he was doing. Yeah. Right. It's hard to take that, that stand and, and, and do that because It, it's tough to do to your own kid. I know. Tough love. That's what they call it. Yeah. And, and now it, they're saying it's not a good idea. And others say it is. A good, and I'm like, I don't know if it was such a great idea. All I did was worry my butt off. Like I was so nervous and a wreck all the time. You know, like I couldn't even sleep. Yeah. I was like I didn't like that at all. No, because you're worried. You're worrying. Yeah. yeah. Too much worrying. So what would but, you suggest to to parents then when you're before anything happens, you know, we're, we're not at that stage yet in your story where anything's occurred, but during all these years, what, what is the answer? What, 
What is the answer for that? Not to prevent could, it? Yeah. Is there is there a chance? I don't know. I mean, I wish I had that answer. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there is. No, I mean, there isn't any. I mean, there look isn't. at Robin Williams or Michael yeah. Jackson or, you know, they've get, been given all the rehab. They've been giving given all sorts of things, but. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't matter. That's the other thing. It doesn't matter if you come from the street or if you come from, you know, a highfalutin family or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's people are dying from These kids are dying from suicide and overdoses all the time. And it's just, I would say it's a chemical imbalance and they don't always find the right drug for them or the, the right way to deal with it. And it's a struggle because, you know, you just keep, they keep changing things. And with some of them, they just can't handle it anymore. And I don't really know. I hate to say that there's no hope because there is help. And I think if my daughter would have waited longer, maybe her chemistry would have changed again. Cause you know, adolescent years, right. A lot it's of, Times. Yeah, they're not they're not there yet, you know. But yeah. And the hormones yeah. are changing and yeah. And, yeah. So I don't know. It's so hard. So to get back to your story, your daughter was living at home or she was Both away? Of my kids lived at home. My son was away at college for a couple of years and then his addiction he had to get out. And um he did go back and finish. And we were so proud of him then, but he never got rid of the addiction. Even when he finished, he was still on Suboxone. And is that I don't strong? Even know. Yeah, it. I don't even know if that's an answer. You know, like sometimes I think maybe he should have just stayed on that forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? So many drugs out there and so many ideas. And then I even thought about the the brain shock thing. And I was like, maybe they both should have had that. Maybe they'd still be here. I mean, there's always these maybes, you know? Yeah, that's the hard part about grieving is, is yeah. the what ifs. Yep. Yeah, and things that you could have done, should have done, would have done um, differently or the same or whatever it might be. So what happened then your daughter decided to take her life first? Is that what happened? Yeah. Um, well, you know, it, it was such a vicious cycle too because she had enough of her own little anxiety. She was born anxious. <laughs> yeah. I always say that because I remember taking her, wherever I took her, she would cry her head off as an infant. As soon as I brought her home or cuddled her, she would be fine. It was like she just wanted me, and she didn't. She didn't want people. She didn't want crowds. She, she. It made her anxious. And you know, I always said that she, she always had that kind of personality where she would rather be home cuddly. You know, like she wasn't. I think when she went out drinking with her friends and partying, it was because she was having a few drinks. She was relaxed, and then she was comfortable. 
But, you know, she didn't even like going to family parties much. She was always like, do I have to go? Yeah. <laughs> so now I don't even know why I got on that topic. <laughs> well, it's just that um, it was her personality. and it, Oh, yeah. Her personality was more on the anxiety side. But I don't even know if, they're, if their diagnosis, like, are really truly accurate. Because what do they have to go on? go by they have to go by whatever I say or whatever they tell them and right you know the only reason I believe my daughter really was bipolar was because when she was in Summit Oaks she was admitted for a while there um committed for a couple months and um, how did she do how did she do for the few months she actually she at the beginning she hated me she cursed me out every time I came. And the thing is, the reason I believe that the bipolar wasn't just all her meds and the confusion and everything with, you know, the alcohol, because they took her off of everything and she was on nothing in the beginning. Oh. And when I went there, she was cursing me out and that was never her. Like she was not that way at all. And, you know, she was very anxious and pacing and all that. So I was like, wow. She really did have bipolar one, but she didn't have it growing up or through her teens or anything. You know, both of my kids were perfectly normal, did well in school, did well at college. None of that. It, it's just, I mean, can't it's really... hard to see it come out to light then all of a sudden, isn't it? Yeah, from a it was a shock. Like, what? That's why you're so confused because you're like, I don't even know if it's, you know, I knew they had a little anxiety and depression and they were looking for meds for that. And I even tried to talk them out of it sometimes because I know a couple of their friends were on things. And I was like, look, I hope you're not just looking to be on this, you know, because your friends are telling you it makes you feel good. You know what I mean? Right. Like, especially my son was really pushing for Xanax or one. And I was like, those drugs are addictive. And, and I don't think you, you need anything that harsh. Uh, I was like, get yeah. out, get more physical, get back into baseball. Yeah, keep them occupied. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, if see, the problem is you don't have control after they're adults, but if you can keep them into sports, like my son and my daughter, as long as they were physical, I think they did better. My daughter wasn't a big athletic person, but she was like walking a lot and, um, Keeping well, it, wasn't, it wasn't physical. She would sing. She liked to sing and she was active singing in, in high school and everything. Um, if they just kept something, you know what I mean? To keep yeah. them more occupied, maybe that would have helped. My son was playing some baseball in college and stuff, but his whole thing, he was still active with physical stuff. But then once he got addicted to those opioids, forget it. Their whole, that's all they want. It just shifted then. Yeah, they lose their interest in certain friends and in sports and everything. It was horrible. And then it's hard to get out of that, right? To to change that around again. Yeah, it never happened. I mean, he excelled in every program. They even offered him a job in Michigan in the one program he was in because um, he was in finance in um, college. And they offered him a job to handle the financial um, 
you know, the financial things at the rehab. Right. But it wouldn't pay that much. And we were kind of pushing for him to do that because, you know, I know, you know, he's looking for making big money and everything, but we just felt like that might be such a safe environment for him. And he didn't take it. And then he came back and took a job, but then he got the money and he bought the drugs again. Oh, yeah. That's a horrible cycle, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah there was just a lot. A lot of. Was it your daughter that was first then? That. Yeah, she, she committed suicide in 2015. She actually committed suicide um, February 22nd in 2015. And then he died February 25th in 2017. And his birthday was, two th was February 27th. So there was like, there's those three dates right together in that week yeah yeah that's Horrible. crazy yeah that's my birthday too what in that time frame um uh-huh can't say happy uh, birthday <laughs> but your son was a pisces yeah yep wow i i you know overdose is overtaking covid right now yeah. with deaths in vancouver area it's not a light topic. It, it's something that I don't know what the answer is because it's not all homeless people that no. are the problems. Um, it's definitely a mixture of real people and their real life every day and something happens. I don't know what's going on. You know, sometimes I think, is it something in the food? You know, what, why is their chemistry all screwed up? Yeah. Is it, you know, the, the news, the world, everybody's problems are getting, they're hearing too much. Is it the social media? Like, yeah. I don't know. So, it's so different. Did you get a phone call about your daughter then? Or I hate I to found, bring her. We found her. Oh, dear. I'm sorry. In to her say. bedroom. Oh, geez. We, we were at a christening. I, I, that's another story. Um, we had a christening to go to. She didn't want to go. My son didn't want to go. Um, so we decided, you know, she was doing pretty good. He was doing all right. But a few days before that, she relapsed with the alcohol. And I slept with her that night, and she was sick as a dog, throwing up. She didn't want to go back to the hospital. You know, I held her. We talked, you know, and I was like, all right, you had one little slip up, now get back on the horse. And we talked and she seemed to be all right. And then I guess her boyfriend broke up with her because of the incident, because she snuck alcohol from his house, from her his mom's liquor cabinet or whatever. And she wasn't supposed to drink at all. And he knew that. So she was embarrassed and upset. And I guess he, you know, he said, I can't have this or whatever. And, it just upset her. And then um, when I went to leave for the christening, I thought she was doing all right. And then when I went to leave for the christening, she was crying a little bit. And I says, Camber, you want me to stay home with you? And she says, no, no, mommy, I'll be all right. And she stopped crying. And then I said, well, Bryant is home. He was off the heroin then, I thought. Oh. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, he was home from rehab. He just got home in December and he was doing well. So I said, well, Bryant, we'll check in on you and, you know, I'll call you and all that. And okay, mama, no, I, you go. I said, you sure you don't want me to stay home? No, you go. You and daddy need a day out. You go have a good time. So we went and my son went and got heroin. And he wasn't there when she did that. And he came home and, he, and I asked, I called him and he wasn't answering. And then he finally did. And he said, oh, she's all right. She was outside having a cigarette. So I was angry because when I got home, I saw that he was high. And I said, Bryant, what are you doing? He's like, no. I was like, oh, boy, I, I can't believe this. I asked you to watch her. I was like, what are you doing reusing? I was so upset. Yeah. And then, yeah, I ran into her room. Her room was locked. We had to get this little key, like those little skinny keys to open the door because it wasn't a regular lock, you know, when they have the hole. And yeah. So it takes a while to get that open. And she was slumped over my laptop. And oh. then, you know, take it from there. I did CPR and all that. And it was too late. I knew it was too late. I was a nurse for 20 years. So. But, um, you know, I, I tried and it's, that's all in her story. I wrote her book, Cambry's story. Oh, I don't want to oh, that's you know, nice. go through the whole story here, but. Are you going to publish the book? The book is out. Oh, it's on awesome. Kindle. Okay. Well, I should yeah. uh, send me the link and I'll put it down below in the description box for everyone. Oh, okay. It's, it's on, um, it's just on Amazon Kindle. It's only an ebook. Okay. It's only 83 pages, but it's intense. Okay. No, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I think I'm, not a, I'm not an official, well, I am an author now, but I'm not, like, that wasn't my thing. I, I, I never really wrote. My, I think my daughter had me write it because she was a writer. She was always writing. She was really good at it in school. They said she should further it. And um, I don't know. I just wrote it. <laughs> It's really a loss, isn't it, when you have two great people in the world and, you know, like what we talked about earlier, you know, with Robin Williams and, you know, it doesn't matter, seems to matter how many, how great they are and how funny they appear to be and how normal they appear to be, if you want to call it normal, um, and how many times they go to rehab and how many times they go to the doctors and just nothing ever seems to really work. Yeah, some people, nothing does work. Yeah. All I can do is say, whoever's out there listening, and if you have thoughts of it, please just don't do it. You have to have the force and the strength within you to not do it, you know, and to just get more physical. Phys I mean, really physical. Physical activity helps so much with your endorphins. I lost two kids and I'm happy a lot of times because of that, because it keeps me going. And I just, uh, like I also oil paint, I do all kinds of things just to keep my mind active and to keep me up. Right. You know, it's a choice to put yourself down there. I could fall into that slump but I don't want to be there. And when I do, I have my moments where I cry and, you know, I, some days I feel like I'm going out of my mind, but 
I push myself out of it. And I think my kids help push me out of it too. Yeah. I know it sounds strange, but um, they like constantly give me signs and we telepathically communicate. I'm, I'm spiritual that way. And um, they'll answer me through cardinals. Like I'll, right. I'll be laying in bed and I'll say, I'm going to do this or do that. You know, I'll talk to them and all of a sudden the cardinals will chirp real loud. <laughs> so I get answers from them and sometimes it's just something in my head or something will pop on my phone or, you know, whatever. It's just strange. Even driving, sometimes I'll get a song that'll come on and it will like have a word in it that will answer what I was asking them. Right. What was in your head and it comes up. Yeah. It just, they connect a lot. Yeah. That's nice. That makes you feel more comfortable knowing that they're they're still around. Yeah, because energy doesn't die. And some people believe that and some don't, but it's true. Yeah. I I see it with the two of them. Like, you know, they're physically not here. I don't see them. I don't hear their voices. But um, I do in dreams sometimes. They'll talk to me. And a lot of signs. Uh, That's awesome. That's that. That helps tremendously. Yeah. You know, birds are the transporter of messages. Yeah. From, from the Definitely. universe. So. Definitely. And butterflies. My daughter hated butterflies. So <laughs> I don't even look at one of them for her. But my yeah. mom is, my mom comes to me as a white butterfly a lot. And then when there's two white ones fluttering around each other, I say it's my mom and my dad. Oh, that's I so just cute. feel it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they say they're out in the garden. They're all around us all the time, but uh, we're just sometimes not aware of it if you don't open yourself up to having them there. Yeah. Is is what I understand anyways. But um, so what would you suggest as a parent? You know, we haven't talked about your husband, Peter, um, an ex-military Yahoo, military Yahoo. Um, <laughs> I'm a military brat, lived, lived my long life of that as well. You know, nothing prepares us for your life that's changed in a, in a blink of an eye, basically. How did your son overcome this now? This, is that what kind of put him over the edge as well, finding he was supposed to be looking after her and he didn't? Actually, um, his last rehab was in Princeton, and he was a uh, um, partial hospitalization. He was in a partial hospitalization program, and they would pick him up, drop him off. He was there all day. And we had a family meeting, and he brought it up, and they brought it up, too, that he had post-traumatic stress disorder from Cambry's loss. And he had so much guilt knowing that, you know, he was supposed to be there checking in on her and he went and got the heroin and he couldn't, he had trouble living with that and he wasn't ready to accept it. And as much as I tried to help him with that in the rehab program, um, he still said that he wasn't ready to accept it. And when he got out of that program, uh, well, he wasn't finished. He was almost finished. 
and um, he went for his, they said that you know, he wanted to go out for his birthday with a friend and they said it would be, they thought he was ready and that it would be okay. So I gave him a little money, but I didn't give him a lot and took him, he was meeting his friend at the train, took him there and um, that was the last I saw him. He used that opportunity to get drugs and he died from a heroin. He didn't really die from the heroin overdose. It was heroin fentanyl, but he was oh. used to taking 10 to 15 bags a day is from what he told me. And usually when you're off it and then you go back on it and you use the same amount, that's what kills you or if you use more. And he only had four bags because that's the only amount of money he had. And the problem was there was fentanyl in it. And that's what killed him. Yeah. So that'll be in his story. That's come. I'm writing his book now too. And I'm not taking any money for either of their books. All the money is, um, what I do is like for my daughter's books. Um, I mean, my daughter's book, I, I'm not directly connected to charities, but I, um, write a check on her anniversaries, her death anniversary. And then this summer I'll write another check. Well, two checks. I, I send one to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And then the other one I send for, to the Popcorn Zoo because it's a rescue zoo and she loved animals. And we Aww. used to take the kids there all the time. And it's right over here um, in Fork River. So, and then um, my sons, I still have to figure out where I'm sending his. Yeah, I didn't even write the book, but that'll come later. But yeah. I don't want to make money off of them. It's not my plan. I just want to write their stories, get it out there. And, and I feel like it's a little donation from them. Yes, you absolutely. Know, whatever money come in. I mean, I didn't even get enough money yet to pay for the cost of the book. But I'm like, you know what? At first I was going to delete that amount. And then, and then really? it's only eBooks are two ninety nine. That's I mean that's what I charge for that. So, what do I get? A dollar eighty eight a book. So that's not a lot of money. So I just said the heck with the cost of the book. I'm just using it. You know, split it go, all up and send it to their charities to go somewhere important. Yeah, and then I posted it too on my Facebook pages, whatever. When I were, you know, I got the um, acknowledgement for the checks. Yeah, nice. So they don't think I'm full of baloney because I'm not. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe we could put your Facebook page down below with your Amazon link as well for people to get a hold of your book and reach out to you if maybe they might be going through something or have a child in the same predicament. I know a lot with overdoses in this area anyways, it's, you know, anywhere from 20 to 40 year olds, the majority have real life lives and they work and they're regular everyday people that just get a hold of the wrong drugs at the wrong time, usually. Yeah, yeah my son would have never got addicted to anything except that um, he, he was very, physical and he had a motorcycle he had quad he had a um, dirt bike and 
we didn't even realize that he had fractured his neck at one time because he was such a tough guy. He never complained much. But when he was starting to have a lot of problems with his neck, we took him to the chiropractor and he x-rayed him and he said, you know, he had a he had neck fractures before. His neck is all fused. Wow. And I just thought he walked so tall, you know, like he's always got his head up. I didn't even realize that they were from fractures that, that healed and fused together. Wow. But, um, in, in college, I guess, you know, you're always sitting looking down at your books or whatever or on the computer. His neck was bothering him. His back was bothering him. And his buddy, I don't want to say names or anything. It wasn't his best friend. It was just one of his roommates. I'd said, you know, um, try I'm on this medication, you know, here, maybe this will help you. So I guess he was trying to help him. But in the long run, he got addicted to it. Yeah, as a lot of people do. Yeah. It's very easy to get addicted to drugs and alcohol in any shape or form, whether it's medical or not. Um, I talk about that all the time. And it's it's really the easy route to go. It's tougher to stand strong and and deal with issues in life, I guess, so to speak. What would you have, uh, you know, with how did you and Peter deal with it differently or the same, would you say, or is a female and a male the same? I think we did really well together with it because, you know, we didn't fight or argue or blame each other for anything. We just cried and held each other and we um, went it. for walks and talked and, you know, I, I made him, get a little more spiritual with it. And, you know, now he's always looking at the Cardinals and he's always, and he got, he got an amazing sign, but I don't really want to talk too much about that, but that's in Cambry's book also from her right after. And um, it made him believe. And I don't know. I just think we, we really did well together with it. Because you know, I like think we, men have a hard, harder time. Yeah, I got them to cry more too. <laughs> because they don't want to cry and they don't want to be, yeah, vulnerable. No, I made him cry. <laughs> Good for you. I got it out of him. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were both support to each other, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's key too. Otherwise, people could go directly opposite directions as well with something as tragic as what you've gone through. Yeah. I heard you know, a lot of people are, have split up after their, they lost their kids. Yes. But that wasn't our case. We, we totally did not blame each other for anything. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so what kinds of things would you suggest to people, you know, because, I guess, like you said, sports is great. Music is wonderful. Um, being Having a, a true interest in something passionate that if you could find them something, I like guess that would, yeah, that would be helpful for them. I mean, all these parents that are in your boat, um, they might see signs. Is there anything that you could help parents with that, you know, you're not around that age group very much at that point. 
as you are when they're younger at school. So it's yeah. hard to keep, to, to see if there's something that is going to occur or if they're not going down the right path. Well, you know, the other thing is you, you can only go as far as your money can go too, but so I found some of the programs that were free were just as good as some of the ones that we had to pay for. So, you know, you just have to, if you, if they allow you to check out the programs, I mean, that's the other problem. If they're kids, you have a lot of freedom to do all of that. But when they're adults, some of them won't even let you in. Right. You know, they don't, they don't want, they just want to hear it from the kids. They don't want nothing to do with you. And, and I, that I wish would change because, you know, we should have a say so, especially if you're, you're living with your children and, you know, they're adults, but they're still in your home and you see everything that's going on with them. Like our voice should count too, but. Yes, definitely. I wish so that maybe, would change. So maybe stand up more as a parent to, to make sure and ensure that happens because otherwise. I, I fought like crazy with everyone. I even pushed the door down at one, at her one of her psychiatrists. I, I just shoved open the door because. I had to tell them that she was drinking that day. Like right then she was, she was, you know, had alcohol in her because she would lie and, you know, hide everything. Yeah. And I didn't know if he would notice cause she was really good at covering it up. You know, the smell, she had it all down path. It's like pretending not to smoke. So you yeah. can hide the smell. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that wasn't the ideal way to deal with it, but. I try. I mean, I fought like a mama lioness for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably the hardest part is going through the, the, what do they call it? The bureaucracy. Yeah. And then they treat you like you're a control freak. Well, hello. What would you do if your kid was in so much danger with their lives? She had so many car accidents. She almost died. I mean, if you read her story, you'll see plenty. <laughs> Oh, good. I'm going to pick it up today, actually. I, I didn't realize it's only 83 pages, but. Oh, that's awesome. You know, your story the... is like one that I've seen many times on Dr. Oz. Oh, I like Dr. Oz. Or Dr. Phil, like even Dr. Oh, Phil trying to, get the, trying to get the kids in there and the parents and they, yeah. they always have everybody and talk about the stories from each because it is a team effort. I don't think you can get through this on your own. Definitely. It's, it's from a team of, of your group of your family. Yeah. Is there um, anything else that you would like to suggest to parents? Well, yeah, like not really. For, uh, after the loss, is that what you, wanted to yeah. talk about too or is that later yeah is there anything that you could give as a tip what do you find helpful exercising and oh yeah music um, I guess I find my little morning ritual to be really helpful like every morning I have coffee with them and I, I have their urns here but you don't have to have an urn. There's their energy is here. Your their spirits. So, even just sitting by pictures of them, 
and I look out my window because I have a beautiful view to a stream here. So it's very relaxing. The cardinals go back there and everything. And I'll sit and I'll talk to them. And, you know, I, sometimes they'll give me things in my head back, like answers. Not, not like you hear their voice. It's not like that at all. It's just the thought will come in your head and, and you'll know it was from them. Yeah. And then, um, or I'll say, all right, where's the cardinal, Bryant? Where are you? <laughs> yeah. A lot of times, there it is, it'll pop right up. And then, you know, I'll say, now it's your turn, Cam. And it might not happen right away, but it could happen like within the hour. If I if I leave and then I come back sometimes, I look and there, there comes the cardinal. And I was like, there you are. <laughs> you must have been busy. <laughs> but, you know, they have no concept of time. They're just energy now. They don't really have a concept of time. So things, sometimes a sign might not be right there. Sometimes it is. But anyway, the thing with the spirituality, and that's my morning thing. I have coffee with them, and um, that's like our special time. I it, That gets me out of bed and gets me happy about getting out of bed. That's awesome. And, um, yeah, and then I I always do stretches and I sock skate. That's my other thing. What is that? <laughs> um, I put those fuzzy kind of socks on, you know, those comfy, like slippery kind of socks without anything on the bottom. They're just fluffy. Yeah. I don't know what to call them. Soft and fluffy. Yeah, those fun socks. I have tons of them. And... I just, I have all wood floors, so I just slide around and sock skate, like I'm ice skating. But that's like something, it's really good exercise. I do twirls, I do everything. Oh, that sounds like fun. It is. It's fun and it's great cardio and it um, gets the mood up, you know, it's just fun. And then um, I also do like a regular workout with my equipment. I have three little pieces of equipment in here I, I use and then I walk and when I walk I'm always thinking of them and looking for signs I get hard a lot signs out there yeah and when I I go hiking my husband and I both like to not big hiking we just I call it hiking walking through the woods you know on trails and um, a lot of times I'll find heart stones or a heart leaf or feathers or clouds or hearts like I, I find a bush that's shaped like a heart and I just a lot of times I get heart signs and I always say that's them sending the love yeah that's awesome and doves doves are love so sometimes they come as doves and then I, I always say they're sending love and peace yeah. and I love doves because they I didn't realize this, but they have this owl sound. Ooh, yeah, the, ooh. Ooh, the coo. It's a coo. Yeah. yeah. So not the coo. A coo. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, is there anything else that you can think of for what people could do? Support groups you had mentioned. Yeah, I, I mean, I was never a big person to go to any grief groups or anything like that, but um, I just didn't feel like I needed it because. I did enough on my own and I was doing fine, but there are 
plenty of groups out there, like on Facebook especially, that you can join. And, you know, they are supportive. Or within your city as well, I, I think there's... Oh, yeah. Well, the yeah. COVID kind of, kind of stopped a lot of that. But, yeah, hospitals have them. Churches have them, you know, as far as grief support. And, you know, if you need that, you should go for it because... Everybody can use a little help sometimes. Yeah, I think that's a song. <laughs> oh, there you go. I do like my music. <laughs> well, now I'm all excited to read your book because uh, that sounds very inspiring. I think to always hear someone's story and, and you know, realize that it's not yeah. easy. No. Nope, it's not an easy journey. And... You know, I tell a lot of people that it's not an easy journey, but the other thing is your kids are still here if you lost children or whoever you lost. Right. You know, they're gone physically, but their energy is still here and they still see you and they, they want you to be happy. And they actually do get sad if you're sad and they are really happy when you're happy. So so that pushes you. Give them some happy. <laughs> I, give them some happy when you can. I mean, cry yeah. when you need to, but give them some happy when you can. Yeah, that's awesome tip, actually, because uh, yeah. it, it turns you around as well as you know it's doing it for them. Yeah. I mean, why live in a hole? You know, yeah. get out of it. Get out of that damn hole and live. Exactly. And take them with you. I take my daughter shopping a lot. I just was talking to her before and I said, Camry, oh my God, I went shopping twice and I forgot to take you. Oh. <laughs> so I was like, I promise I'll take you next time. <laughs> but, but I do. When I do take her and I remember, you know, to ask her, like she'll even help me find things. Like oh, I'll say, because she was my little fashion consultant. And I've gotten really good now, but I used to really be bad. <laughs> <laughs> so she's helping you doing that. That's for sure. Yeah. She's there. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. He helps um, me with so many things, and he does too. Oh, he's, my, he's my guardian dude. Oh, yeah. Probably getting mad at you sometimes for doing something silly or something. Yeah, and when I kayak and I get in a jam, which I have already a couple times, <laughs> the stream is a funny place. There's a current and like there's debris, so sometimes there's whirlpools and you get hung up or you get you can't get through. So you know, a lot of times when things happen, there he is, that cardinal <laughs> telling you off. Yeah. Well, come on, Mom, you got this. It's sure nice to see you laugh and have a story to tell about how to get over it. Not that yeah. you can ever get over it, but get no, through don't. it. I think that's probably a better expression, getting through it. Yeah. You, you learn to live around it and you learn to live with them in a different way. Right. Because, you know, like I said, I, I don't want to go against religions or anything. I know some religions don't even believe any of that. And that's fine if you don't believe it. But right. um, just from my own experience, I definitely believe it. And their energy is definitely here. And I feel it. And um, that's all that matters. I live with them. 
still. I just, we live in a different way. Right. You're in two worlds, but yep. you're together. Yeah. And I do climb, I call it, I climb the stairway to heaven because I get so spiritual sometimes where I actually, I'm like almost in their dimension, but not, I'm not crossing over, but I'm close. And then I pull back, but that's another story. Yeah, no, that, that's that takes a lot of work. That's not, that doesn't come naturally. Yeah. But you've been able to, um, find that in yourself yeah. to, yeah. to, yeah. It's meditations your, and different things like that, but. Is your husband able to do that sort of thing or is he just more for um, the signs and keeping active? Well, he, he's not really into that aspect of it, but he feels them and he's happy. He's content with, um, he's content with the cardinal thing. And, you know, there's other signs. It, it was, yeah. There'll be a lot in my son's book too. There was a hawk incident where he was, he had it on a stick. I mean, we do oh, that wow. with my son. This is in our other home. Um, there's, there's your kitty. Excuse me? There's your kitty. Oh, you yeah. see my kitty? Yeah. <laughs> That's my chair. This is my husband's chair. Because she was sleeping in my chair before I got on, I had to push her over there. <laughs> that chair over here. I can't always make my bed in the morning right away because she's in it. <laughs> I make it around her and then I finish. Yeah. She's do you think the animals, do you have just have a cat? That was my daughter's cat. She actually bought her. She saved her money. I always call her the coach cat because she just wanted a rag doll so bad. And, you know, we've had rescues and everything too, but she wanted to get a rag doll. So she saved her money and she bought her. And she treated her like a princess to the point where we couldn't bathe her or anything. Oh, do you think she knows? Do you think the cat knows that she's missing her? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, sometimes I think she sees her because she'll just stop and stare and cry in the air, like looking. And, you know, I'm pretty sure she's seeing her. But well, cats the, are very spiritual. Yeah. And in the other house, I mean, she, we had to leave her bedroom door open because she would cry like crazy if you shut her bedroom door. And she still has a problem now with doors. She doesn't like any doors shut. But um, she would go and lay, you know, on Camry's bed a lot. And then um, – she would lay on the top of the couch by her picture. She still does it here in the living room. But um, I swear it was like she's looking at her picture. She would just lay there and her face would be looking right at her picture. <laughs> so that tells you something, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything else to tell our listeners today? No, I think I pretty much covered it all, right? Yes, you sure did. That's quite the story for Dr. Phil. <laughs> if Dr. Phil is listening, that's that's uh, that would have been okay. a job for him. That's for sure. I tell you, yeah. uh, I don't know what our journeys tell us, but uh, yours is definitely 
something to tell and teach other people. Yeah. Help well, I hope I help some people out there. Yes, I hope so too. <laughs> because it's a big issue right now. And I know. Yeah. I mean, I could probably talk for two or more hours, but no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would have to go you. to the bathroom, first of all. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you, Barbara. Thank you so much, listeners. Thank you, Barbara, for coming on our podcast today, our live broadcast that we um, have today for everybody. Um, it's quite the story. Um, as everyone knows, I am the queen of emotion. So oh. it's it's tough for me to do these real stories because, yeah, you know, it's... I'm sorry. Oh, you, you don't have to because you like with Betsy. I broke down crying, but it depends. I'm, I'm, I, if it happens to you, it happens. You go with it. Well, that's it. it. Didn't happen today, so that's good for me. <laughs> <laughs> they understand. My kids are great. <laughs> My angels oh, too. Oh. Even when I don't want to cry, the tears still come. So yeah, there you I go. I get my days like that. Trust me. <laughs> well, the moon is in Pisces right now. That's my excuse. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're all fishy. <laughs> I'm all fishy. I'm all You're all fishy time. now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, well, thank you, listeners. I hope that, you know, Barbara's story hits home for you and that um, if – her details of her book will be down below. And I would love for Barb to come on again at some point. Her story is unbelievable and we can never get enough of it for those people struggling with suicide and overdose at the moment. Um, yeah. I send my love to each and every one of you. And, um, you know, to prepare for the unexpected, you can't prepare for something like that. I, I know Barbara and Peter both did. Um, they tried their utmost best in their, in their situation, and um, that's all you can do. Um, but preparing for the unexpected tragedies, you'll wonder how to be prepared, and that's where your backup plan and the Emerging Blueprint will guide you through those storms of life and you may not be able to stop the emergencies from happening, but you'll have a great plan to get through it. The more you're able to get through it, the more you're able to be present. And that's what Barbara had to be, was present in a lot of the different cases to ensure that people were listening to her and that she was present for those that she love and care about. As Brene Brown says, everyone has a story that will bring you to your knees and be the survival guide for someone else, just like Barbara has for us today. What will Can your I show story? you their pictures? Sure, I'd love to. I have them right here with me. Okay. <laughs> They're always with me. Anyway, that's my son, Bryant. Can you see it? Yeah, I can see it. Good. Thank you. And this is my daughter, Cambry. Oh, and how do you spell that? C-A-M-R-Y? C-A-M-B-R-I. Oh, that's I made it up. I, that's a cool name. I made it up when I was 13 babysitting. Oh, did you? Yeah. Sorry, I got to lean over. 
Yeah, no, that's, thank you for, for sharing that, Barbara. That's awesome. Um, and, you know, it's hard to be prepared for the unexpected because you don't know what life is going to, what storm is going to pass you by. And we, we all have storms in all of our lives of some shape or form. True. Yes. And COVID has taught us all to be better prepared for the unexpected. Um, That's right. We weren't. Like I said in one of my other podcasts, if we had been prepared, we would have had more toilet paper. <laughs> but we weren't. True. <laughs> but we weren't. So that tells you right there, we're not prepared. So right. be prepared for the unexpected. And I help you, I help you guide you through the process of doing that through your app and the emerging blueprint that's coming down, uh, launching very soon. So I always end um, with hoping to like, share and subscribe to our channel. Don't forget to do that, everybody, because we love each and every one of you. Um, I always end with Carol Burnett. Thank you, Carol Burnett, for being a part of our lives. I love her. <laughs> yes. I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started, and before you know it, comes a time we have to stay so long. So thank you, everyone. Thank you, Barbara, for coming on, and thank you, Peter, even though he's not here we did speak about him. He's in the um, back room. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Peter. And thank you for your military service. And thank you, Barbara. You've had lots of military service yourself, being a wife. Oh, yeah. My dad, so, too. <laughs> oh, yes. It runs in the family. <laughs> so thank you for all of your all of your time that you've taken and your courage and your bravery for today's show. Thank you. And for anybody listening, I will have all the description stuff down below in the description box. Take a look at Barbara's book, uh, her story. If you can, I'm sure it's very insightful and beneficial to this time in the life of all of us right now. So thank you. Thank you, your backup plan tribe. Thank you for coming on board with us today. And till next time. Bye for now. Bye.